Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisor Practice Podcast by Snap Projections, episode 24. I'm your host, Pavel Braminski, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let's introduce today's featured guest. Today's guest is Mark Lamontagne. Mark is a founding partner in Ottawa's largest fee-based and fee-for-service financial planning firm, Ryan Lamontagne, Inc. With over 25 years in the financial services industry, Mark has a broad range of knowledge in the world of personal finance. He's a CFP, RFP, CIM, and in 2012, Mark was awarded the Fellow of FPSC Distinction. Mark has a history of staying in the forefront of financial planning industry, transitioning to fee for advice in 1996. As a recognized expert, Mark has been quoted extensively in the media, including the Globe and Mail, the Financial Post, CBC, Ottawa Citizen, Toronto Star, CTV, Morning Life, and Money Sense Magazine. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pavel. Happy to be here. Uh, Mark, I'm super excited to have you on. So let's jump right in. So let's start with your firm. So tell me a little bit more about your firm. So tell me a little bit more about what do you typically do and uh, who do you typically serve? So a couple of things. So so Ryan Lamontagne Inc. is, we think of it as primarily a, a financial planning firm, but really we provide sort of a, an all-encompassing wealth management service that includes financial planning, tax preparation, and portfolio management. So the original model was, uh, I, I'm sure you're familiar with what's called the family office way of delivering. So it's where you have you know, some super wealthy family and they'll hire their own advisors. And then you have sort of smaller firms that they're called multifamily. So they're looking after, you know, clients with less than 100 million. Well, I always thought, well, wouldn't it be a great idea to bring that type of similar service, but to, you know, the emerging affluent, somebody who maybe is not a millionaire yet, but, you know, they, they've built up some assets. And the idea is to be able to, you know, do everything you can in a single office because they, they really don't have enough, you know, assets to have the multi-advisor. So that's why, you know, they, they really like it to have everything under one roof. Excellent. So th- is this something that uh, when, you, when you're thinking about starting the firm, is this something that really, was this the kind of cornerstone idea for starting the firm? Just have this for service that could be provided to, uh, that typically is provided to super wealthy families for those basically emerging mass affluent market? Was this something that you had from the start or or just kind of appeared later on? No, it really was the idea from the beginning. It was a bit of a challenge, though, to, to sort of grow the firm because, you know, to, to get all the pieces in place took, took a while. So, you know, we could certainly deliver portfolio management and financial planning, but we started to build a couple niches. And one is, you know, in high tech professionals that tended to have issues with like stock options and things like that. And so we wanted to be able to offer the tax piece, but then we noticed some of those clients would, you know, start to go off on their own and start their own businesses. So at that point we said, why give away the corporate tax preparation? Let's let's bring in an accountant in-house and be able to deliver, you know, all the services under one roof. And of course, that took a long time to find the, the right person to, to fit in. And then the next step from there was say, can we get a lawyer to come in and work out of our office, which we, we never actually did. So, so our, our compromise solution is we ended up taking an office a couple floors above a law firm so, so we could have readily uh, 
access to them. <laughs> That's excellent. Okay, I really like your model. I, I really like this. And uh, I want to actually talk about a little bit more about tax preparation because I don't see this as a usual type of service that planners or advisors provide, but I think there's a lot of value. So is there something, is there you know, additional value in terms of having your firm prepare tax, taxes for your clients? Is there any benefit in terms of financial planning and, and wealth management? Yeah, so there's a couple different ways of looking at it. And, and the first way is from uh, the client's point of view, as, as their situation becomes more complex or they're just busy with life, they, they really need someone to be able to handle that piece for them. I mean, some people, it really doesn't matter whether we do tax preparation or not, but, but you know, there is a certain segment that are more than happy to, to offload that onto someone else. And, and it's a fairly low cost service to be able to provide. The second thing is from a financial planner's point of view, it certainly gives you a lot more information about your client that you wouldn't normally have. I mean, you can get a lot of detail in a financial planning questionnaire, but really looking at someone's full tax return and their T-slips, you, you can certainly learn a lot more about their financial situation. And the other nice thing about it is that often you can see the consequences of your recommendations on a tax return. And as you know, nowadays, you know, we get clients to sign the CRA authority to be able to get information and all that's available online. So when someone comes in and says, I don't know what my TFSA contribution room is, well, it's not a struggle anymore to be able to get that information because it's readily available online. Nice. It's nice when technology actually works, you can have the benefit of, of, of it working. So let's go back actually for a second to the, the early days again, because you, you were one of the first ones to actually uh, in Canada to, to start focusing on fee for advice, really fee for service. What made you really start this firm or co-found this firm? Like, what 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 was the trigger? Do you remember? Well, I mean, I you know, after spending five years in the banking industry, I I sort of knew I wanted to go out on my own. You know, I mean, I found I was very happy in the bank, but of course, you can only recommend what the bank offered. And you know, I was per- persuaded by someone to say, you know, why don't you go try this financial planning thing? And I thought, well, this is good, and, and I really had no idea where to go, and and so I, I joined a dealer that, you know, really take anybody, you know, they were called regal capital planners. And, you know, basically they would give anybody a desk and a phone and say, go to it. And so, you know, I was struggling doing financial plans as primarily a sales tool, you know, just to get the investments and then you would sell the investments on a DSC basis. And, and that's how you, that's how you made a living. Anyways, I, I struggled under the model for, for two years because I, I didn't realize that you had to be a salesperson to be successful in that model where I wanted to be a financial planner. So fortunately, after a couple of years, I met my current business partner, Thomas Ryan. And so we started putting together the idea where we would sell financial planning and then we would basically, you know, offer the investments as almost like an afterthought. Right. And and we would do investments on a front end zero basis and just collect the trailer. And and eventually we just started to gel this whole concept of, you know, this comprehensive service. And, you know, and then we, what we found was was clients really were looking for that, the comprehensive service, basically answered all their needs. So let's talk about the process, because, you know, like you've, you've had a number of years to perfect your process. And uh, I'm, I'm curious. So so how do you start advising? Let's say there is a prospect. And how do you start the, your process? What happens initially? What happens then? Like, how do you go? all about having you know, just a prospect and to having a client that you serve on a regular basis? So clients would tend to 
come to see us and then we would tend to have sort of one or two methods we would tend to adopt. And we do still get a lot of sort of one-off fee-for-service clients where we just bill them on an hourly basis and we'll typically, you know, see them a couple meetings and then we'll probably won't see them, you know, that often after that. But for the vast majority of our clients who are looking for an ongoing engagement, really it's it's a process where you know, you, you bring them in and say, you know, I'm really going to, you know, help you reach your goals. So it's really a, a process of building the financial plan, getting to know them extremely well. And this is typically a, a three meeting process where, you know, the first meeting, you're collecting all their information. The second meeting, you're basically going over the same stuff over again and saying, look, I've looked at your situation. I have some questions. There's some details missing. I've done some projections and here's what I think is possible. You know, we've got a few choices. What do you think? And then in the third meeting, you then have them back in and, you know, you've got the full financial plan and then you start the implementation process. When, one of the things I always tell clients is that the, the implementation process is just as important as the planning process because all the planning in the world isn't going to do you any good unless you've actually implemented it. And so what I tell them is I say, anything that I can do in this office, I'm going to do for you. We, we've actually pushed the boundaries on that. So for instance, you're going to say, well, let's implement an investment strategy. You can do all the paperwork and everything. But one of the biggest frustrations I had over the years were I would tell clients, you, you really need a will. Or, or your will is badly out of date. You really need to call your lawyer and go. And of course, they would never go. Right? <laughs> never. And so finally, I got, I, I tweaked on it. And I said, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to book the appointment for you. And then I'm going to go with you to the first appointment. And the reason is I have all the financial information with me that I'm going to bring with me. And with your permission, I'm going to give this to the lawyer. So they're going to do their job that much better because I'm there to give my input. And what I found was no one would cancel an appointment because they would have to cancel two separate right professionals. And the other one is if they if I just booked it for them and the lawyer and they canceled it, well, they don't know that lawyer or they don't really see that lawyer for 10 years. So it's not a big deal, but they see me on a regular basis, right? So I'm going to go, Hey, you know, it's time to see that lawyer. You know, we said we'd go. So you, over time, you became a really good salesman, right? Like you explained the value, why we're doing certain things. And then just helps you to basically to with the implementation. Okay. So a couple of questions about the implementation. So how long does the implementation does it do? Or how do you structure the implementation? Of course, every client is a little bit different, right? A tech professional might be completely different from a you know, small business owner, but how do you approach the implementation aspect? Do you have like a roadmap for, I don't know, 12 months that, you know, we do a different areas of financial planning over, let's say, every couple of months or every quarter? How do you do that? So it's really client driven in the sense that certain clients will see me more often than others. For most clients, when, once we start the implementation process, once we've gone through that, we'll typically see clients or touch base with them about three times a year. So we do have a formal annual review that we decide ahead of time it's going to be a, a certain period of time. So from a practice management point of view, I've tried to spread my, my annual reviews throughout the year. So it's just not everybody's happening around the same time. And so we'll contact them about a couple weeks ahead of time, say it's time for the annual review, have them in, go through the financial synopsis one more time and update the plan at that point. But we'll also see them typically during tax time. It's pretty automated these days, so we can do it just through a secure email. 
And usually there's another time that we'll tend to see them. And that could be things like a year end where, you know, we're doing some tax loss selling or something like that. Right. So do you have any specific tips for like that advisors, just how do you show the value of, of planning to clients? Because sometimes I talk to a lot of advisors. So I hear sometimes that, oh, you know, I ask clients for, do you want a financial plan? And they would say, for example, no. Like, is there something that you do to show, to position the value of financial planning? Or do you typically find that, you know, clients who seek you, they already are sort of sold on the value of planning? Yeah. So a couple scenarios. So we do get prospective clients that do contact us specifically because they are looking for a financial planner. The other group, which needs a little bit more convincing, I think the the value is that, as you know, financial planning is all about helping clients reach their goals. So I think if you spend enough time at the beginning and saying, okay, let, what is your current situation? What is it that you want to achieve? And then I'm going to figure out how you get from A to B, as opposed to telling them to say, well, no, you can't do that, right? A lot of people misunderstand financial planning. They think it's all about me telling them what to do, but it's really the other way around, right? They say, I want to do this. And so I'm going to help you get there. I'm going to tell you how to get there. Excellent. Okay, so let's talk about some of the things that actually people misunderstand, or whether advisors or consumers. What do you think is kind of the most misunderstood when it comes to financial planning? What do you see? Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we we do you know one-off financial planning, and so we tend to see a lot of do-it-yourself investors, do-it-yourself financial planners, and what they often fail to understand is that financial planning is really evolving, as opposed to you know they. Come in. Here's a financial plan, and there's the rest of your life. Go away. <laughs> you know. You know. And I always used to joke that a financial plan is kind of like a new car. It loses about twenty percent of its value the minute you drive off the lot, right? Because as you know, over time, your financial situation may change, your life may change, your goals change, and that's why you know when we have a long-term client, I always tell them that I want to update your financial plan every year because your situation does change. So we want to make sure that the plan evolves with your actual life. Makes sense. Absolutely. And I haven't actually heard anybody else say that uh, it's a really good analogy that basically the value of financial plan is, you know, 20% less. Like, if, as for, of course, if you don't implement it right away, nothing happens, right? The value is zero, essentially, right? But True, true. Yeah, yeah. but uh, this is a good one. So the other thing is that sometimes comes up is the, maybe a little bit of tangent, but just uh, the role of fiduciary, right? Let's maybe spend a minute or two talking about that because I think sometimes, sometimes clients basically we got confused and advisors are not sure what it means. So what, what are your thoughts on that? So fiduciary is a term that's been bantied around over the years, both in Canada and the U.S., as to whether you know your financial planner is a, a true fiduciary. And I think you know the public and even in the industry, we really don't understand what a fiduciary is. So let me give you a, an analogy. So anybody who puts out a shingle right, who says, I'm a professional, I'm giving advice, automatically in Canada has what's called a duty of care. It doesn't make them a fiduciary, it's a duty of care. So the fact that you said you're giving advice, you have that already. So the difference between somebody who has a duty of care in a fiduciary is, let's say that a client, an unhappy client, sues me and I have a duty of care, and I we go in front of the judge, and the judge says, you know, Mark, you should have done things differently, but Mr. and Mrs. Client, you know, you should have asked more questions, so therefore, 
I'm only liable for, say, 70% of the penalties and the client is liable for 30%. On the other hand, somebody who has a fiduciary duty, in their case, it doesn't matter if they're only partially at fault. They're 100% responsible. So anybody, though, in the financial industry right now, most people are not fiduciaries. The only people that are fiduciaries are those that are licensed as a portfolio manager. So if you're with IROC or MFDA or your fee-for-service, right now you just have what's called a, a duty of care. Right. So if we map this to the designation, just to make it clear to, because I know there are some younger advisors as well or, or people who are thinking about a career in financial services. So in terms of the, the designations, what designations in Canada right now require us to be to be a fiduciary? So there is no designation. So the CFPs are not fiduciaries. Right. RFPs are not fiduciaries, PFPs are not. The only people that are fiduciaries are people that are licensed as a portfolio manager. Right. Okay. So I just want to make make it very clear because sometimes this question comes up. So, okay. So, and I think we can probably come back to this and talk a little bit more about uh, the, even the changes that are happening in Qatar right now with FPSC and rebranding. We'll come back to it later, but I want to talk a little bit more on, on your practice. So in terms of your practice, so you, you're clearly successful. You've been doing this for a long time and you have probably a pricing model that works as well. So what, how do you approach pricing your services? I'll answer that in a second, but you earlier said, you know, you clearly have a very successful practice. I just want to add a caveat, though, that it, it didn't happen overnight. The issue with financial planning is maybe you're a good financial planner and not very good at, at getting new clients. I was not very good at marketing when I first started out. Suffice to say that it does take time to build a practice. So it just really involves a lot of patience right, <laughs> and believing in yourself. But on the second point, as you're probably aware, I am a bit of a student when it comes to, to pricing. I even wrote a, a book on pricing. You know, I always say pricing can be more of an art than a science because I was never a big fan of charging a client a percentage of assets only. And that's how most people are doing it, either through a trailer fee or charging through an investment account. And the problem I always had with that model was that if you're also providing financial planning, essentially what that means is you're charging exactly the same thing for everybody, even though, as you know, portfolio management can be kind of generic from client to client, but financial planning is very client unique. So some clients are more work than others. So essentially under that model, it means that your larger clients, your, your clients who are less work are subsidizing you for the time you're spending with those more difficult, more challenging clients. And if those clients knew that they were subsidizing your other clients, they wouldn't be too happy. So we decided to adopt kind of a, a split model where we're charging a percentage of assets for the portfolio management but we're also charging an annual retainer for a financial planning and tax preparation. And it's just, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's a more fair model so that if a client says, well, you know, no, I don't want to pay a separate fee for a financial planning and tax preparation. And we say, well, that's fine. We just won't offer that service. We're just going to manage your portfolio. But most clients want the financial planning and so what we do is we charge an annual fee that will range anywhere from $750 a year to typically maybe $5,000 a year for, you know, say a client who's incorporated, maybe has a couple of rental properties, whereas somebody who's retired and doesn't have that many issues will tend to be on the lower side. And we, we thought it was a unique way of regulating the amount of work 
so that you were, you were actually charging for financial planning. And, and what that does then is it now brings financial planning into the forefront to say, okay, there's a cost to this. So the client says, okay, so there better be some value. And, and as long as you can provide some value, they're more than happy to pay for that. That's a really good way of looking at it. And I really like your model as well, because I think, as you said, it's more fair, right? Because the business owner and the consumer, they, they look at price differently, right? I actually remember somebody said that the consumers say uh, when they look at pricing, it's really price minus value. And when you're looking on, on the service provider or product provider, it's price minus cost, right? And there are two different perspectives, right? So one of the ways of actually increasing your price, just deliver more value. Like make make your service more valuable, and and I think uh, there is no limit to the invention of you know how creative you can be in providing providing value. I mean, for example, the family service offering that, that you're providing. I mean, there's there's so many different you know aspects people value, and you can talk to your clients. You can actually really build a very unique practice and, and really be focused on serving your clients and providing a lot of value and really increasing your pricing. Excellent. So you you mentioned that uh, building your practice and and the success didn't happen overnight, and of course, uh, media sometimes portrays that people are successful overnight, right? But but what are some of the things that you think made you successful? Like, can you isolate just a couple of things that you think that, you know what, this is a really important thing for us to become recognized, become good at what we're doing and really have a lot of success? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, certainly having patience, you know, business doesn't happen overnight. I think, I think we struggled essentially for the first five years before we started saying, okay, now, now we can finally see that, that we're actually making some decent money. I think, you know, having a, being very empathetic with your clients, you know, is a is a strong trait that financial planners need. I think providing a, a comprehensive service because I think most people need that comprehensive service, whether you know they're just starting out or you know they they have a lot of money, they, they're really looking for you know the total wealth management package. And you know, I I know it's probably been said on your show before is find your niche. And that can be a bit of a challenge. So in, in our case, when we first started out, we decided to supplement our revenue by going after government and corporate contracts to do retirement seminars and, you know, counseling. And, you know, being in Ottawa, the federal government was a natural and uh, we, we had our, our first contract with uh, D&D. And of course, we massively underbid, right? Because we didn't know what to charge. And so we weren't, so, so we were working for like next to nothing, but, but, you know, it was good experience. And, and we would, we had to do retirement seminars and I had to travel to every single base in Canada to do these retirement seminars because they wanted a uniform message across the country. So, you know, got to go to some unfortunate, you know, very small places that there isn't a lot to do, but every once in a while I got lucky. I got to go to places like uh, Colorado at the NORAD base or Germany. So, you know, essentially you, one of the things we started noticing when we were doing these seminars, especially for, you know, government employees is there wasn't a lot of spinoff. Like there wasn't a lot of people coming up at the end of the seminar asking for business cards. And then we were fortunate enough to get a contract with Nortel Networks back in the day when Nortel was still around, they actually had money. And we would do this basically the same seminar, but we were finding at the end of the seminar, people would come up and say, you know, can I get your business card? And what we found was that the federal government employee niche was that they already have a good pension. They really didn't need a lot of extra planning, at least in their mind. And as opposed to busy, busy engineers who don't have a pension plan, who have, you know, maybe complex, you know, uh, capital gain situation, they really needed somebody, 
And so they were, you know, they were probably bright enough to look after their own stuff, but they just didn't have the time and they were happy. And then suddenly, boom, you know, suddenly our, our, our clients started to increase drastically because we finally figured out we have to go through a market that has good income, that can pay you and has issues. Excellent. And for them, probably value was even larger as well, right? But uh, so this is great. So do you still do a lot of seminars at all? How do people typically find you? For a seminar work? No, just overall, basically. Are you doing still some seminar to uh, acquire new clients or prospective clients find you different ways right now? So we do do uh, seminars, but not as much as we, we used to. We used to chase that business and we found that over time, we were just adding on so many individual clients that that tended to be the work we were doing for the most part, we were, you know, doing less and less seminar work, though we still will do a seminar work on occasion, whether, you know, we'll, we'll do something for our clients and, you know, their friends and colleagues, or, you know, an organization may call us and, and we'll just do sort of a, right now we're doing an all day retirement seminar. But how do people find us? Well, you know, I mean, apart from referrals, we do get a lot of prospective clients just by Google searches. We uh, spent quite a bit of money a few years ago on search engine optimization so that if you typed in financial planner Ottawa or Ottawa financial planner or any variation of that, we would show up on page one. And as you know, people who are looking for somebody through Google will tend to hire the person who shows up on, on the first page. The other thing we did, and because I firmly believe that not one single marketing initiative tends to work, but often if you have sort of a combination of things will tend to work, is years ago, we decided to pursue media marketing where you try to get your name in the paper. And I often have mixed feelings about it because it's a lot of work. Like media marketing costs essentially zero dollars, right? It's you contacting a reporter and saying, hey, you're doing these family profiles. I would be interested in doing one at some point. And then they call you eventually. And if you do a good job, then they'll call you back. And then you'll find another reporter is doing an article on a similar topic that they Googled and they came across your name and then they'll call you and so on and so forth. So if you do pursue media marketing, it is a lot of work without an immediate reward. But we often get prospective clients that'll say something when, when I ask them. And we do track all our prospective clients. We track them very meticulously and say, how did you find us? And they'll often say, oh, I Googled you, I Googled Financial Planner Ottawa, and you showed up in an article as well. So there tends to be credibility matching. So it tends to work well there. And just with you know the seminars, the the media marketing, the, the search engine optimization. So you know every year we typically are getting about 200 inquiries a year from prospective clients. I would say you know probably about a third would be you know well matched to our firm. But you know, it's still not a bad number considering with all the work you had to put into it. Absolutely. I really like that you pointed out with the fact that uh, different marketing channels affect each other and actually increase the conversions because, I mean, that's that's definitely what happens, right? There, there are definitely some synergies between media and, of course, Google is, uh, you know, ranking do matter. They, they do matter, absolutely, for sure. So let's talk about some of the challenges when, when you're working with clients. Let's let's say you have a you have a group of clients. What what do you find typically that is the most difficult when it, when it actually goes to advice clients like what what are some of the challenges around the, providing the, the advice itself so some of the issues would be as I mentioned earlier things that won't affect them today 
or they don't perceive as a real problem. So, you know, I mentioned earlier about a client not having a will or they haven't updated their will in 20 years. And it's like, yeah, I know I have to do that. I'll get around to it. You know, they, they just, they, they don't see the haste of getting it done. And even if you, you know, use your own experience and say, well, let me tell you the story about so-and-so who didn't get it done and look what happened to them. And as I mentioned earlier, the, the way I overcame that was, was to say, listen, I'm going to book the appointment. I'm going to go with you. So I, I, I kind of figured it out there. But one area I, I've really never been able to crack is where certain clients have issues with cash management. They're just spending too much money, right? And so you, you'll have them in, you know, for their annual review and they'll say, you know, no, I still have a balance on my line of credit. I'm going, you know, you're scratching your head and saying, well, last year you said you were going to have it paid off, but now it's back up. And, you know, sometimes it's just a demographic issue. You know, you, you tend to have people who are a little bit younger, younger kids, they're going to be spending a little bit more, and then you know that that's probably going to go down. But some people really don't have a handle on their cash management, and they, they don't realize that there's going to be consequences. And I find that's probably the most frustrating. There's not a lot of clients that, that I have like that, but uh, it, it, is, uh, it is a bit of a challenge when you, you're trying to explain to them, saying, listen, I need you to do this, and they're going, yes, we will, Mark. And then when you see them next year, they haven't done it. <laughs> yes, I can. I can definitely, and I can see that it's a little frustrating and challenging, right? Because you have the great advice, you know what they should be doing. So this is kind of interesting because maybe some of those things will be actually addressed with with some of the changes to the professional education programs. And I think one of the points for, for FPSC transitioning to FP Canada will be that there will be this understanding and applying the key psychological and behavioral factors to motivate clients will be part of the program. So this is kind of very interesting, right? Because the market is changing. Before I actually talk about it, I think. Will be uh, fun to talk about it, but in a second. But what are some of the biggest challenges that you've encountered when you're building your practice? So, of course, you now first couple of years or first five years were tougher, right? And of course, market has changed dramatically. We had Rona Berenbaum on a podcast, and she was saying the market 25 years ago was completely different. I mean, people didn't really understand the value of financial planning at the time, and market is so much different right now. Did, did you have any other challenges around building your practice? Yeah. So what what I find is in, in a financial planning practice, you you often hit these plateaus where you know you you're looking after so many clients and you don't seem to have any more time. Right. And sometimes what you have to do is look around you and say, is there some sort of structure that's preventing me from expanding my business? Because, as you know, if a business isn't growing, it's dying. And the other thing a lot of people don't realize is you really need to you know, reinvent the practice almost every five years. So, for instance, I'll give you an example. In, in our case, we were originally licensed through the MFDA. But as you know, the MFDA is limited to, you know, these, these older structured mutual funds. And so about 12 years ago, we said, you know, we really need to evolve into, you know, exchange traded funds because they're cheaper, you know, they're easier to trade and they're just a superior product. And, and really back then there was probably, probably like a thousand, well, probably not quite a thousand, but it was, there was enough ET, ETFs to actually build a portfolio. As you know, today it's greatly expanded. So there's a lot more choice. And so we saw that, you know, moving out of mutual funds and into ETFs made a lot of sense. Right. So it's it's things like that that you have to look at and say, you know, what is it that I need to change? And sometimes these changes can be quite difficult, but I think you really need to 
you know, as I said, reinvent yourself every few years. And this is a great way of, uh, of putting this. I really appreciate that and how you actually frame this because there is a clear distinction between working on the business and in the business, right? And it seems like you've actually sometimes were able to actually step back, look at the structures that basically were limiting your maybe capacity and find a solution to, to the problem and maybe to increase your capacity and then the reinventing of the, of the, of the practice. I mean, that's a, that's a really great way of, of looking at, you know, how can I, you know, again, deliver more value to clients? What can we do better for clients, right? If you're not, if you're standing still, I mean, you're really moving forward, as you said, right? So this is great. I really, I really like that approach. So I think we're ready to talk about the FPSC changes right now. I think we've uh, alluded a couple of times to it. So I like to ask the question, especially somebody with your level of experience and expertise, how do you think the delivery of financial advice is going to evolve in Canada? With, especially with, for the listeners who are not familiar uh, or not, not aware, I'm just going to read it from the press release. FPSC previously announced that effective April 1st, 2019, FPSC will become FP Canada with a broad a new scope that will provide effectively position the organization to lead the direction of professional financial planning in Canada, right? So, and then the new created, uh, newly created FP Canada Institute uh, division will deliver professional educational programs focused on solving problems, specifically real world clients and situations, you know, the psychological behavioral factors. And there is potentially, uh, well, actually not potentially, there is this new designation, right? QAFP, Qualified Associate Financial Planner. Lots of changes. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, so there's there's two issues. How do I see it evolved and, and what is the implication? You know, I, I see the industry evolving from more of a sole practitioner model into more of a firm model. I remember when I first started out, I, I mentioned I joined an MFDA firm and there were 16 people in the office and coming from the banking industry, I thought that, you know, we're all working together and we're all trying to achieve a goal because I had always worked in a team environment. And then it took me a little while to figure out that suddenly these people were not on my team. They're my competitors. And so when we created Ryan Lamontang, we made the decision to say, I don't want to be your competitor. I want to be your partner. And so how do we create a firm structure that looks more like an accounting firm or a, or a law practice where everybody has the same goal? And I think that's where, because some of the changes with the FPSC and then with the regulatory changes, I, I think you're going to see more people getting together and saying, look, you're doing all this work and I'm doing all this work and this guy is doing all this work and this woman is doing all this work. Why don't we get together and start to split some of the work together? And I, I think people are starting to get it, but you know, I think this might push us into it. Now, more specifically to the FPSC, I look at this move as they're positioning themselves to be the de facto regulator of financial planning. I mean, I don't know if you agree with me that at some point, financial planning is going to be regulated in some shape or form. And so the FBS is changing themselves to say, well, hey, here we are. We're all ready to do that. And that's why they're, they're reorganizing. The fact that they've brought out a new designation, initially I found that offensive to have a, a financial planning light. I can understand that they're probably doing it to make themselves more acceptable to you know, bank financial planners that can't or don't want to get a CFP. 
you know, so they have to come out with a, a designation to compete with, say, the, the PFP, you know, and, and also the fact that they're now going to be providing courses, you know, I mean, so it's, it's a, it's a quite a drastic change. So on the surface, it seems logical that they would move that way. It just bothersome. The moves will, would entail sort of watering down the, the CFP designation. And, and I don't know if you share those feelings. I do agree with you, actually. I, I don't think we need another designation, especially the advocacy, I think, this is coming up with new designation. There's, I think there's a couple of new designations that were just uh, introduced within the last year or two. I don't think, again, I'm not a practicing financial advisor myself. I, I, I just happen to speak with many advisors. But uh, I don't think, uh, I do agree that I think that there is a little bit of watering down of, uh, of, of the CFP. And I think I probably would, have, in my personal opinion, I probably eliminating the FPSC level one would have been a better move. So people can actually go and spend the time and become CFPs. But I think in terms of, uh, for example, the educational programs, I think, I think as we said it many times, there has been a large gap of not having a program of how uh, people can take their technical knowledge and apply this to real world client situations. And I've seen this very early on. There was a couple of years, actually three years ago, I started a project best practices in retirement planning in Canada. And I spoken with a handful of advisors. Everybody had completely different approaches. And I, and I shook my head and I thought, oh my God, there's no standard. Like there's, everybody's applying different roles. And, and, and it's just, it was, it was, it was really interesting to, for me to see that. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons for this podcast, right? I can introduce smart people. They can share their approaches, right? And maybe that this can help the industry improve, right? So I think they're trying to, they're trying to basically provide and fill the gap. But I think, I do agree with you. I think, uh, I think the changes are, are going to be pretty profound. So, so I guess we'll see how this is all uh, going to play out. So Mark, a couple of other questions before we're up here. So is there anything else on your, it's we're coming to the close of 2018, as you're planning, for example, uh, next year, are there any exciting projects that you have in your practice? Are you trying to be, is 2019 will be the year of reinventing the practice again for you? Or maybe there's some other projects that you're excited about? Well, the, the, the big news for us is we finally uh, made the decision to apply to the Ontario Securities Commission to get a portfolio manager license. So we now have our own license as opposed to being licensed with another firm. So that's very exciting. The, the downside, of course, is you have to repaper all your clients. So, you know, you have to go through the, the whole rigmarole process, which, again, cuts into that time issue. But, you know, we've, we've got, you know, things that we're looking at, like, uh, you know, one challenge we've often had is because we deal with clients, you know, as I say, emerging affluence. So they've got a bit of money, you know, say typically in the 500,000 to 2 million range. You know, the biggest issue we get now is, would you take on my kids, right? And we're like, uh, I don't really want to take on your son or daughter, but, you know, I'll do it if I have to, if you insist. So so we're, we're trying to sit down and figure out, say, how do you actually deliver a service for the children of clients and still do a good job for those children? Right. So those are the little projects that we've got on the go right now. So this is going to be exciting. So, Mark, so this podcast is all about growing your practice. And I already asked you for a lot of advice. Uh, do you have any parting words of wisdom for the listeners? Yeah. I mean, if uh, if you're in uh, practice as a financial planner, just, you know, if you're starting out, as I said, it's a great business to be in because it does offer a lot of flexibility, uh, 
you know, on the personal side. And you, you meet such wonderful, wonderful people. It just takes a while to grow the business. So you really just, you know, you really just have to stick with it and, and be patient. Patience. Excellent. Okay. All right. Uh, Mark, uh, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you right now? Uh, you can certainly email me. You can just go to our website, ryanlamontagne.com, or you can just Google Ottawa Financial Planner. <laughs> two options excellent we'll link it up and if you want to uh, just check the rankings you can google auto financial planner perfect uh, mark thanks for coming on the show and providing so much value to the listeners really appreciate it okay thank you thank you and that's it for this episode if you have any questions shoot us an email at podcast at snapprojections.com and if you're enjoying the show and want more of the amazing guests sharing incredibly valuable knowledge, head over to iTunes and leave us a great review, which helps us get discovered. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.